Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the Gospel of Mark, the second book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. We have been in a journey through the Gospel of Mark for a number of weeks now. So thankful for Pastor Cody last week guiding us through the last part of Mark chapter 7. It brings us this morning to Mark chapter 8. We're going to cover verses 1 through 26 this morning in a message entitled, And One. And One. Now, you may not know this, but that is a basketball phrase. Can I get a witness on that, Rob? That's a basketball phrase, and I know some of you may be a little puzzled this morning. You say, Pastor, why are you talking about basketball when you have every reason to talk about football after George? Oh, wait. I'm sorry. Just kidding. I love my Gator fans that are here this morning. So good to see you, and I prayed for you yesterday that you would be here, and here you are. It's a basketball phrase that is used when someone is driving, is shooting, and they get fouled in the process. They make the basket, and then they say, it's a little bit of trash talk, and one, which means they get to go to the free throw line, and they get to shoot an extra basket for an extra Point. And so I was not a great basketball player growing up. I tell you that just to say to you, I didn't make the high school basketball team, so I played church league basketball. But I would trash talk just a little bit. And there was a lot of times I uttered that phrase and won. As I got fouled in the midst of shooting, it was a lot of fun. If I could submit to you this morning this passage that we're going to look at, is a moment where Jesus, if he was trash-talking, could have said, and one. It was the emphasis of this passage that struck me this week as I was working through it, where Jesus is going to highlight for us the reality of who he is. And so this morning, as we prepare to dive into the text, I want to read for us verses 1 through 10 to start And then we'll eventually work through the rest of those verses this morning. As you prepare to do that, you can write down this parallel passage as we've gathered each week. I've shared with you, I want to encourage you to spend time in God's Word personally. And a good way to do that is to read through these parallel passages in other Gospels where it highlights exactly what we've talked about on Sunday morning. And so you'll see up on the screen there, Matthew chapter 15 Beginning in verse 32 and going through chapter 16, verse 12, it'll highlight for you these same verses just in Matthew's account of Jesus' life and his ministry. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 of Mark chapter 8. This is God's word. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven, 
And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to encourage you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together in this passage of scripture. It's this truth. We desperately need to clearly see Jesus for who he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And we desperately need to see clearly who He is. In fact, as we work through the text, that will frame our understanding of what's going on in this passage. Remember that as we've walked through Mark's gospel, Mark has one aim. That is to help everyone who reads this account of Jesus' life and his ministry to understand clearly that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Salvation is only found in him. And as we've been walking through, we've seen in Jesus' life these miracles that he's performed in power. We've seen the parables that he has taught, once again, highlighting the reality of who he is. And once again, we come to this moment where we're going to see two miracles performed by Jesus. And in the middle of that, we're going to see Jesus teach on the truth of who he really is. Which brings us to verses 1 through 10, and if you're taking notes, you can see that it's a familiar feast that we encounter in verses 1 through 10. Kids, I want to encourage you, as you're taking notes this morning, you can draw pictures. That's a good way for you to remember. Adults, you can feel free to do that as well, but I want you to draw a picture of a loaf of bread and a picture of a fish. We're going to see here that Jesus is going to perform a miracle once again to feed thousands of people with just a small amount of food. There's an image that will pop up on the screen. This is important for you to to see because it's going to remind us of the location that Jesus is in as this miracle, this feeding of the 4,000 is going to take place. Jesus is in this region that's called the Decapolis. It's primarily a Gentile region. Remember that Jesus had left what was primarily a Jewish region. He had gone into Tyre and Sidon, remember, to the northwest last week. It was at that place that he performed a miracle there. And then he journeyed down to the Decapolis area, once again performed a miracle there. He is still in this region as this great crowd gathers, Mark tells us, in verse 
one. And notice that Jesus says to his disciples, they need food. They've been with Jesus now, the text says, for three days, and they need something to eat. Jesus is concerned. He has compassion on this crowd of people, and he does not want to send them home without giving them something to eat. His disciples, for some reason, I love them, but they are not the smartest guys in the world. His disciples say, how are we supposed to feed all these people? That's their concern with, with what little bread there is in this desolate place. And, and I want you to remember back in Mark chapter 6, because we have seen a familiar situation play out in Jesus' life and ministry with his disciples. If you remember, outside the region of Bethsaida, Jesus had fed 5,000 men plus women and children there with just a small amount of food. In fact, there are key similarities that you may want to write down in these two moments from Mark chapter 6 to Mark chapter 8 here. One, the crowd has gathered to hear Jesus teach, but they don't have any food. Once again, Jesus has compassion on them. Once again, the disciples are absolutely clueless. But Jesus sends them out in both situations and says, find some food so that I can feed these people. And they come back with loaves and fish to Jesus and they give them to him, and Jesus miraculously multiplies both the bread and the fish enough to feed all of the crowd that is there. And not only just to feed them, but there's also in both situations, Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 8, leftovers that are taken up. We look at this, and some have sat back and said, well, this is a moment where scribes, as they were copying the scriptures, they got their numbers mixed up, they got the text mixed up, that Jesus just performed this miracle once, feeding of the 5,000, and that's it. But I want you to know there's something special about this moment as Jesus is in this primarily Gentile region in the Decapolis, that he performs this same miracle again as he feeds the thousands who are gathered. I want you to take notice of the key distinctions, though, between these two situations. One was in the Decapolis here in Mark chapter 8. Previously, Jesus and his disciples were closer into the region of Bethsaida in the wilderness outside of that city in Mark chapter 6. This is primarily a Gentile region, whereas previously he was primarily in a Jewish region. Not only that, notice the distinction in seven loaves in this passage versus the five loaves in Mark chapter 6. He had a few fish in Mark chapter 8, but he had two fish in Mark chapter 6. There were 4,000 people in Mark chapter 8. There were 5,000 men, likely plus women and children, in Mark chapter 6. There are seven baskets of leftovers here in Mark chapter 8, whereas there were how many in Mark chapter 6? You got to go back and do your homework, church. 
There were 12 in Mark chapter 6. And I'll call your attention to something. Remember that as we work through Mark chapter 6, I shared with you that Mark doesn't give us a little bit of the extra detail there, but Matthew does. Remember that Matthew says about the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus following that begins to teach his disciples and those who are gathered that he is the bread of life. That true satisfaction in life will only be found in him and in him alone. He does that though in Mark chapter 6 with primarily a Jewish audience. And then when you see it take place, you realize that the 12 baskets of extras that are taken in was something to highlight the 12 tribes of Israel. It was specific because Jesus is coming to his own people and proclaiming to them that he is the Messiah. He is the bread of life. Salvation can only be found in him. But now in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is with not the Jews, he is with the Gentiles. And once again, Jesus demonstrates the reality of who he is in feeding them. And it's not by accident that there were seven baskets left of food that were taken up at the end of this. Listen to me, at no point, and I don't want to press this too far because sometimes it gets a little weird when people talk about numbers in the Bible and you add this and subtract this and put all this together, just be careful. Just put that out there, right, Pastor Cody? Be careful in that. Don't want to, don't want to dive in that too much. There's some crazy people out there. Just put it out there, okay? But the number seven does in Scripture represent something very specific. That is completeness fulfillment. I want you to see this. Jesus goes to the region of the Gentiles, performs this miracle, this miracle once again that points to the reality that he is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the bread of life. Salvation can only be found in him. But it's not just for the Jews. It is also for the Gentiles. And at this point, Jesus is putting an exclamation point on the fact that the message of the gospel is for everyone. And these seven baskets that are taken up of these leftovers simply point us to the reminder of the fulfillment of God's plan that the message of the gospel would go forth in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. Mark does not put this here by accident. It is a familiar feast, but there's some points about it that help us understand even more so who Jesus is and why Jesus came. It was to save people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Salvation is only found in him. Towards the end of our service this morning, we will celebrate communion together as a church family. And, and I want to point something out because I think it's helpful for us as we think about this passage, as we also think about Mark chapter 6 as well, as Jesus is going to use very similar language in 
the Last Supper as he celebrates communion for the very first time with his disciples. In fact, it says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, that when Jesus took the bread as he was sitting with his disciples, it says that he took it, he gave thanks or he blessed it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said to them, that it represented his body that would be broken for them. Well, in Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 8, if you notice what Jesus does, Jesus takes the bread, he gives thanks for it, he breaks it, and he gives it to his disciples to be passed out to the crowd. So think about that. When we celebrate communion in just a little bit together as a church family, what are we celebrating? We are celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ is the bread of life, that Jesus has offered himself as the sacrifice for sins, his body broken for us. The picture that is here in Mark chapter 8 in these first 10 verses points us to this reality. The text doesn't stop there. In fact, we continue looking at verses 11 through verse 13. I want you to notice what Mark records in these verses. On the back end of this feeding of the 4,000, primarily those who were Gentiles, it says in verse 11, after his disciples and he had crossed back over the Sea of Galilee, that the Pharisees came And began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and got into the boat again and went to the other side. For taking notes, you can write down this second situation that we see, which is a predictable posture from the Pharisees. Kids, if you want to draw a picture here, just draw a smiley face, but not with a smile. You can draw it with a frowny face because the Pharisees were not the happiest people in the world. In fact, remember that they only cared about trapping Jesus, about stopping Jesus, about hopefully ending Jesus's life. And so on the back end of all of these miracles that we've talked about so far and more that are recorded in the other gospels, the Pharisees come again to Jesus to argue with him. And notice what they are saying. Show us a sign. Prove to us that you are the Messiah, that you are the Son of God. Prove it. Perform some miracle, perform some sign so that we can see it and we can know for sure that you are the Messiah. And at this point in time, Jesus could have easily looked at them and said, are you kidding me? How many miracles do I have to perform to demonstrate the truth of who I am? Why are 30, not enough for you to recognize the truth of who I am. But notice, they're not interested in Jesus proving 
the truth of who he is. They're interested in an opportunity, it says here, to test him. Their desire, their hope is to get rid of Jesus by any means necessary. They're not interested in submitting to him as the Messiah, as the Son of God. That's not in their minds at all. They simply want to trap Jesus. Jesus knows this because his response in verse 12 is he sighs deeply in his spirit. This is a moment of utter disappointment, frustration on Jesus' part with the religious leaders of the day. He sighs. And he says to them, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And then he left them. I love that Matthew unpacks this a little bit more for us. In fact, Jesus is much more forceful in Matthew's account of this situation because Matthew records the fact that Jesus, on the back end of this, says to these religious leaders, listen, you guys know how to pick up on signs. He said, you know how to determine what's going to happen even with the weather. You ever met someone who, uh, who says, you know, it's, uh, it's about to rain. I can feel it in my bones. <laughs> ever had somebody like that? And you're like, you're, my granddad used to do that. And he's like, called me Bo. Bo, it's going to rain. I can feel it. You know, what's interesting is Jesus says about these religious leaders that for them, they're able to look at the sky, they're able to see the signs of what's going on and predict that there's a storm coming or that it's going to be a clear day. And he says the indictment for them is that the Son of God, the Messiah, is standing right in front of them and they cannot see him for who he is. And he says to them, the only sign, that will be given to you is the sign of Jonah, who was in the belly of the fish for three days and came out of it. Jesus there predicting in Matthew's account of this story his ultimate resurrection from the dead. That is the greatest sign that we look at and recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. You may be here this morning, and for you, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and I simply want to encourage you this morning to look back at the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you want a sign, if you want proof that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He is the Messiah, that salvation can only be found in Him, look back to the resurrection. Look back to the reality that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. Notice that as you continue to look in verses 14 through verse 21, I want to read this for us. We're going to see Jesus and his forgetful friends. Beginning in verse 14, on the back end of this, It says, now they had forgotten, this is his disciples, to bring bread. And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. 
And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? We see once again, Jesus' disciples in the midst of everything that has gone on, in the midst of this miracle once again, they still don't quite get the reality of who Jesus is. They're, they're wrestling through it. They're struggling to understand it. And in fact, it's really a sad situation. Kids, if you want to draw a picture here to think about Jesus' forgetful friends, his disciples, you can draw a picture of an eye. You can draw a picture of an ear. Jesus says about them, they cannot see and they cannot hear. In fact, Jesus is going to teach. This is the point for him that he's going to unpack for them the truth of who he is. In fact, he says to them, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. This is in the boat as they are beginning this journey once again. They're heading back, in fact, to the region of Bethsaida. And it's interesting because Jesus' disciples hear him say that, and they immediately have this conversation among themselves. Guys, we forgot to bring the bread. Like, once again, we forgot to bring the bread. And Jesus overhears this, and he says to them, why are you talking about the fact that you have no bread? In fact, in this moment, Jesus is saying to them, how have you missed the point again? How have you missed the reality once again that I'm trying to demonstrate for you? I'm trying to show you. I'm trying to help you grasp and understand that I am the bread. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. He says to them, the reason that he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod is to help them understand that the Pharisees and, the, and Herod were not willing to submit to him as the Messiah, the Son of God. And he's saying to them, beware of that. Recognize that that is not the truth. But for his disciples, he wants them to grasp the reality of who he is. In fact, he takes them back to remind them of the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6. And then, once again, the feeding of the 4,000, the baskets that were left over. And he's saying, it is right in front of your eyes. And do you still not grasp it? Do you still not see it? And at this point, if it were up to you or me, we would probably say, we're done. Let's move on to another group of disciples. These guys are just about too much. 
And praise God that he doesn't give up on us. In fact, I love what happens in verses 22 through verse 26. It's a beautiful reminder for us. Let me read this. Beginning in verse 22, they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Jesus offers for us in these verses a powerful perspective. In this region, it's interesting, if you look at the map, Jesus has gone back to Bethsaida. He's gone back to this region where he has performed miracles before. He's gone back to this region where Peter and Philip and Andrew would call home. It was close to the place where the feeding of the 5,000 took place. It was also the location that the disciples were heading when Jesus walked on water. And Jesus takes this man who is blind, and Jesus heals him, but he does so in a way unique in all of Jesus' miracles. He does it progressively. Notice at the beginning, Jesus spits on the man's eyes. That ought to get you excited. And lays hands on him. And he asks the man, do you see anything? And here's how we know the man was not born blind. He had lost his sight because he says, I see people, but they look like trees. I mean, he can't make out the features, but he definitely understands the fact that there are people there and they look like trees. But then notice what Jesus does. In verse 25, he lays his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. You say, Pastor, why is that such an important thing for us to see? Why is it so important for us to grasp what's going on? Kids, if you want to draw a picture here, you can draw the picture of glasses for this passage of scripture, it's important for us to recognize that that Jesus is highlighting something for us, that his disciples, they don't quite see clearly yet. Come back next week because things are going to get really clear next week as we see Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God. But, but in this moment, what Jesus is helping us understand is that it sometimes takes time for people to come to the recognition and the understanding of who Jesus actually is, which for us as followers of Jesus, it likely took us time as well. 
Likely, the first time we heard the gospel, we didn't respond by faith, trusting in Jesus as our Savior. But I want to encourage us this morning that you and I have people in our lives who right now have heard of who Jesus is. People in our lives that see things, but they're not super clear yet. And yet God desires to do a work in their lives and for you to be a part of that journey with them. Do not give up hope on them. It was easy in this moment for Jesus to look at his disciples and say, you guys have missed it. What in the world is wrong with you? But he doesn't do that. He says, guys, you don't see it clearly yet. You're not quite there. But I'm not giving up hope because what Jesus knows is that he has the ability to open the eyes of the blind so that they see clearly the reality of who he is. You're a follower of Jesus this morning. Your eyes have been opened to see Jesus truly for who he is. If you're not yet there, Jesus has not given up hope on you. Allow him this morning to open your eyes to see clearly the reality that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. Salvation can only be found in him. He is the bread of life. I want to ask you, if you would, to bow your heads with me this morning as our worship team makes their way back up. We're going to sing once again an entire song this morning before we celebrate communion together. But I want to encourage you to take this moment, this opportunity to prepare your heart before the Lord. If you're a follower of Jesus, your eyes have been opened to the truth of who he is. As you sing, worship the Lord this morning that he opened your eyes. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to take that step of trusting in Jesus as your Savior. We'd love the opportunity to talk with you about that. And just a little bit as we sing, our pastors will be down front. You can come grab either of our hands and say, I need to know Jesus as my Savior. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to spend some time in prayer this morning as we sing, praying for someone you know who just, just doesn't quite see it clearly yet, but you're not willing to give up hope that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Pray for them during this time this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Use it to challenge us and encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand, join us as we sing and worship.